Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, I'd like to start with two opposite and mistaken images of heaven. The first is a platitude that's often heard at the visitation or a luncheon at a memorial or a funeral service. Aunt Betty finally has her angel wings. Or Uncle Gary is singing with the heavenly choir. You can never hold a note here, but now he's got it right. They're touching sentiments, and particularly apropos when God calls home a young person, a child. Little Susie is now a chubby-cheeked little cherubim. Cartoon images of puffy clouds and golden harps spring to mind. It is an embodied view of life after this life, but it is not this body, which we confess this morning. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I've often thought we ought to move that sign of the cross from the last line to this one and cross ourselves right there as a remembrance of our baptism. The second image is illustrated by a character from Star Trek. I'm going to lose a few of you, but some of you are going to grin. He's known simply as Q. He appears in Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. He's an extra-dimensional being of unknown origin. He's not constrained by time, space, or the laws of physics. He's capable of violating or altering any or all of these with a quick hand gesture. Unfortunately, he's not above practical jokes either, which can be very dangerous for a being who's almost omnipotent. His is a disembodied view of life between lives. We inherit such a view of life after death as much from the Greeks and from Plato as from science fiction. Souls just floating off to who knows where. Well, our text this morning from Revelation 21 offers one of the very few glimpses we get of heaven. A word of caution, though. Revelation is apocalyptic literature, so we're going to stick to the broader themes and, and not fight over the details too much. Our text opens with John describing a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Notice the movement, the direction. The biblical story is fundamentally one of God to us. He comes down to walk in the garden in the cool of the evening and called, Where are you? to Adam in Genesis 3. More about that story later. He comes down to Noah and tells him to build an ark. He comes down to Abram at Ur of the Chaldeans and says, Go to a land that you do not know comes down to Moses in a burning bush and in thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai. With all these biblical examples of God coming down to us, it's a wonder we get it mixed up. I'm talking about worship in much of Christendom. Worship characterized by the elevation of our spirit that focuses on our actions, our words, our thoughts. I'm not quibbling about style. This is a substance question, a direction question. It's summed up in a popular English folk song. I really like this song. We've actually sung it here a number of years ago, but frankly, it gets it wrong. It's Alleluia to Jesus. And the first stanza is the story of Jacob's ladder. The second stanza speaks of thousands by faith are climbing it still. And then the third, come let us ascend, for such is God's will. For the angels of Jacob are guarding it still, and remember each step that by faith we pass o'er some prophet or marcher has climbed it before. Alleluia to Jesus who died on the tree and has raised up a ladder of mercy for me. Presumably, 
that I can walk to God. Time out. Jacob never moved. His head was on the rock. The angels of God were ascending and descending. They were God's messengers. And then the climax, Genesis 28, 13. And behold, Yahweh was standing beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. God came down to him. And when Jacob awoke, he worshiped. We get it wrong in worship sometimes. We get it wrong in justification. I've met some troubled souls who will not come to here to receive God's grace until they, quote, clean up their act. I'm sorry, you will never do that. God will, by the Spirit, in the Word, by the water, in the wine. I did not choose you, Jesus says in John chapter 15, but I, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. God comes down to us in Jesus. Verse 3 of our text. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. To dwell, to tabernacle, to tent with us is the language of John's prologue. It's Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The name repeated to Joseph as he contemplated his betrothed with child. Emmanuel, God with us. And the other name given to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He does that by his act of obedience, to be the perfect sacrifice, not just the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's of the commandments. John 5, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. I came down to you, for you, that in your place, points us to his passive obedience. The drama of Holy Week so recently celebrated from our gospel lesson. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's going to the cross to die. And in his death, you are redeemed. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Easter, the resurrection, changes absolutely everything. God dwells with us in a new way. Verse 5 of our text. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Go back to the garden before God came and walked in the cool of the evening. We call it paradise. And it was. It was beautiful. It was a temple of God. And God came to Adam. He brought the animals for him to name. And no when no help me was fine, he came again and he made Eve from a rib of Adam. And when God wanted to come and to dwell with Israel, he instructed Moses to build the tabernacle. Well, the ornamentation of the tabernacle mimicked the garden and the heavens. So too, the temple that Solomon built likewise mirrored the gardens and the heavens. Its walls were paneled in cedar, carved with gourds and flowers. Its floors were cypress. Palm trees, flowers, and pomegranates adorned it. The sun and the moon and the stars 
were on the veil that separated the Holy of Holies. And now, Revelation 21, a new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. God does not lift us up out of our creature, out of creation, or out of our creatureliness. Instead, he restores it. The garden has become a garden city. And the remainder of chapter 21 and into 22 is a fabulous description of that city. We hear of streets of gold, foundations of precious stone, and gates of pearl. God dwelling with us invites us to take a new look at community. Community within Redeemer, within the Northwest District, within the LCMS. How well have we lived Jesus' new commandment? Love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Well, there is certainly room for confession. Bitter, bossy, and broken are at times just under the surface. Clickiness, cliche, and condescensions season our speech. It's hard to suppress that rugged individualism to go it alone. But there's also great joy and comfort within the church. Comfort in the absolution. I forgive you. Joy in celebrating together. The resurrection, our common confession, a single foundation in word and sacrament, the mutual care and consolation of the saints, as Luther put it, the new look of the resurrection in 21 invites us to live within God's house even more faithfully. What about dwelling in community without? The temptation is constantly there to shelter in place, right? To circle the wagons and keep to what is safe. But the new Jerusalem calls us out to be a mission outpost in a land of nuns, people indicating no religious affiliation of any kind, fastest growing category in our society. To be the city, the new Jerusalem, a city of light on a hill. John writes, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will come bring their glory into it. I'm sure you've heard the quip that Christians can be so heavenly minded to be of no earthly good. Professor Ted Whitmore observed otherwise in refugee camps of northern Uganda, after 20 years of war and displaced people. Among the Christians working with the Akoli people, he saw what he called what real Christianity looks like. Whitmore discovered that the most practical and helpful workers were the most heavenly minded. He called them reasonable apocalyptists, thought a lot about God's final intervention. These heavenly-minded Christians believed that no human effort could be relied upon. It had to come from God. And because they believed that God would intervene, they also believed it was worthwhile to work for good. They said, hey, we want to make a difference here and now. We want to help with the orphans. Well, that attitude echoes the message of Revelation. Where Jesus, where God dwells, life flourishes. Verse 6 and 7. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The old creation, with its corruption to sin, evil, and death will pass away. Life and joy will take its place. A spring of water of life becomes a river in chapter 22. Where on either side grows the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit for the healing of the nations. The new Jerusalem far surpasses Eden. 
Imagine your favorite national park, the Redwoods in California, or Zion in Utah, or Glacier in Montana. It will be infinitely more beautiful in the new creation. God's dwelling with us causes life to flourish. We saw that among the workers from the with the E. coli people, there is earthly good to be found in looking forward, anticipating God's creation redemption, being God's hands and feet and caring for creation. In Jesus, God dwells among us, giving life and light now and for eternity. It flows from the font as new Christians receive the gift of the Spirit. It flows from the absolution as we confess and hear, I forgive you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It grows in community as we stand shoulder to shoulder. At the rail, God comes down to us, certainly. But God's life also flows between us as we acknowledge and commit to a common confession. This is community as we support each other in the bond of Christ. This is the heritage, the inheritance of the sons and daughters of God who comes down. Revelation 21 is, is a great Easter text. It's also a great spring text. Faith and life in Christ mirrored in the flourishing of creation. With every bud, we anticipate the new Jerusalem. With every blossom, we look forward to the light of the Lamb. A little girl was taking an evening walk with her father. Wonderingly, she looked up at the stars and said, Oh, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be? Already, in Christ, in the church, we have an inkling of that. God has come down to dwell with us. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.